Hey, and welcome back to Docs Who Lift podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking all about artificial sweeteners, weight loss, obesity, and cardiometabolic health. I'm your host, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. I got my co-host here, brother from the same mother, Dr. Carl Nadolsky Jr. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the reason we're doing this podcast, literally my memes uh, and you know, even when my brother posts, it's like talking about vaccines. You mention artificial sweeteners and people get extremely emotional, upset. And you know, at some point, let's just talk about the data. Just stick to the facts. Yep. Because you know, the unknown is scary. I understand that, we understand that. So let's first talk about, you know, first of all, there's a bunch of different types of, it's not even everything's artificial. We can just call them non-nutritive right. sweeteners. Non-nutritive kind of sweeteners. Kind of the scientific thing. We got the most common one people are probably ingesting, I would say is probably aspartame. And that's what you get in usual diet sodas. But um, and you see that in Equal, that's the little blue packet. Then we got Splenda is commonly uh, ingested from the yellow packet. And you can see that in products. It's not usually in diet sodas. Um, I know they're talking about that once, but yeah. And then, Although some, and then the some pink... sodas now use uh, Splenda and some use Stevia now because they're yeah. so yeah, some of it's marketing. Natural. Yeah. So Stevia is natural, so we can't call it artificial sweetener. And we list, list that under the non nutritive sweetener. So most people kind of in this literature, they now say non nutritive sweeteners. Uh, and then, and then there's a little pink packet, sweet and low. Uh, and, uh, I, I only use that for my coffee at the hotel when I, or at one of these places, I don't have access to another sweetener, but, um, uh, all, all these have potentially different metabolic effects, but they're all, uh, they all come, they're all compared to sugar in terms of sweetness. They're all very sweet and they do not contribute to energy. They, they do not contribute, um, to calories. Uh, for the most part anyway. So we want to talk about uh, the effect on weight loss because there's some people that say that diet sodas are worse than regular sodas. And if you're going to drink soda, which I don't know who's recommending drinking soda necessarily for weight loss, but if you're going to drink soda, some people say, well, diet soda maybe, but some people, some people just say drink regular soda. If you're going to drink soda, it's better for your health. So or at least, that? At least brother... the, the scaremongering part will will push people towards regular soda all the time. And then we see patients who do that because they hear these concerns, and and uh, yeah, we'd we argue got, that that's, well, that's a problem. Mark Hyman, uh, uh, Mercola, the guy that's basically gotten kicked off the internet for making up yeah. stuff. Who used to sell tanning beds? Uh, Joseph, yeah, Joseph Mercola. That's the guy's name. Yeah. Usually they're. Uh, he used to sell you, huh? He used to sell tanning beds in California. Yeah, well, that's, that's said, oh, you got you to use my special tanning bed to get your yeah. vitamin. I don't even know. It was just Some, it, somehow. Yeah, yeah, somehow anybody who really pushes this seems to have some sort of financial conflict of interest in some other way, which is amazing. Yeah, honestly, we're, we've... Uh, I've tried to get Splenda to pay me now that they, they've never actually offered. <laughs> but they, I think there was a time where they were trying to get influencers uh, uh, and other people to promote their, their stuff. But no, we don't. We actually don't get paid paid by big uh, big sweetener, big non-nutritive sweetener. We do not. So okay, here's the idea. The, the idea is that for some reason these 
these non-natural, well, other than stevia, these these sweeteners somehow cause people to gain weight. Why? Why would that be? Well, they, let's they say let's they back up. Let's back up first. Why? Why do people think this? Because it's not like it came right, out of nowhere. It's these these have been around for a long time because it seemed pretty obvious that replacing sugary drinks and other sources of calorie intake would be beneficial because you're not getting in the calories. And so they've been around and are consumed in place of added dietary sugars to reduce caloric and glycemic or sugar intake while providing the desired sweetness. That's the whole point of them. The the problem is is that the observational data, and this is where it gets funky with the different types of trials and science that we have, observational data seem to correlate the use of these non-nutritive sweeteners with weight gain, obesity, and complications of obesity, that adiposity-based disease we talk about, like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. And so then that pushed Strokes. people to look into, what's that? Strokes. They, they're, they're, yeah, right, exactly. That was the more recent one. Strokes is one of them. <laughs> and so, so people say, whoa, what's this, what's this correlation? Now, we always have to remember correlation doesn't equal causation, but people, we have to use these data when that's all we have, right? Yeah. So, so then We're people- looking for a signal. Yeah, signal. raise concern. We gotta, we gotta look into it. And so then it was like, well, what's the, what's the plausibility of this? How could that even be possible? Um, and right. so then there were, uh, you know, studies looking at, well, is it causing some of the hormones that we've talked about with obesity physiology driving uh, desire for more calories? The body thinks, oh, hey, I'm getting some sweet stuff, um, but I'm not. So now I'm going to eat more. And, you know, so right. sounds reasonable. There are uh, some certainly some preclinical data suggesting some changes with the infamous gut microbiome. That's what everyone you know, makes claim to now because gut microbiome is kind of a hot topic in a lot of ways, and there's certainly a lot of important uh, issues with that. Um, it's also easy to baffle with bullshit with gut microbiome. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and there, there seems to be a lot of that out there. So throw it up to this nebulous microbiome. Yeah. yeah, and so the bottom line is, is that these observational data correlate with non-nutritive sweetener consumption with obesity, adiposity-based disease like type 2 diabetes, and some of these preclinical studies suggest a variety of potential plausible mechanisms. So then that leads us to, well, what actually happens when we do true interventional trials and actually replace, most importantly, I think, it's when we replace the sugar-sweetened beverages, maybe other foods, with these non-nutritive sweetened alternatives. That's the key, in my opinion. And that's, and that's right, so what... who cares about the correlation? Let's intervene. Let's do an experimental yeah. trial and see what happens. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we brought this to light, basically, uh, in, a, in a recent uh, endocrine practice journal uh, back... When was this published? Back in August or something uh, of 2021, <clears throat> we did a point-counterpoint. So uh, another endocrinologist wrote an article about all the concerns, the observational data, the plausibility, the, the um, brain MRIs uh, with some of the hormone changes, some of the changes in cravings and the gut microbiome. And I wrote the counterpoint uh, basing most of it on, in fact, essentially all of it, uh, on, on all the interventional data done to date 
re mostly replacing sugar-sweetened beverages with artificially or non-nutritive-sweetened alternatives. And the bottom line up front is that every single study you can ever find where they take people who drink sugary sweetened beverages and replace them with non-nutritive sweetened alternatives, they have benefits. They lose weight. They, they take in fewer calories. They change their energy balance, create an energy deficit, lose weight, and then they get the cardiometabolic benefits like glycemic control. And so they've, they've looked at all these in, in very, very short-term trials, in sort of middle term, you know, a few week trials and even longer term trials. And they always end up showing benefit for when we replace the sugary sweetened beverages with the non-nutritive sweetened beverages. And again, it's mostly beverages, once in a while food. That gets a little bit more murky, actually. What do you think, Spence? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. So I, you get some yogurts once in a while that are like low sugar yogurt, and you look, and it's like, what? This has sucralose in it, which is the Splenda. Yeah. I don't usually see aspartame uh, yeah. in that, but sure. uh, yeah. So I mean, the thing. So the, what I always hear is like, okay, but but what about these studies? So people don't actually look at the studies that are in the headlines. So that it, every study that shows potential harm are these epidemiological studies, which I'm not going to say those are unimportant and stupid. They're right. very important for starting to get clues. And if yeah. there's biological plausibility and we can't run a trial, like let's say smoking, for example, that's right. the common one used. Like we haven't done a randomized trial to look at smoking and not smoking to see who uh, dies. It's it's very yeah. extremely strong. Uh, observational data with very plausible mechanistic data to look at and go like we, we should we should not be smoking here yeah and or however I, I think uh, a, a reasonable analogy might be I mean we certainly have data showing that smoking cessation uh, improves outcomes yeah and so yeah. that that's yeah. fairly similar to some of the data we have in this right so in this in this case though we have about what is it two I think the longest one I've seen is like two years uh, data it's usually like six months to a year and up to two years is what I've seen of, hey, there seems to be benefit here. There's no biologically plausible reason why this would be happening. Um, and in fact, you know, you and I both have had patients that they're like, you know what? I lost my first 25 pounds, which sounds ridiculous, but it's a lot of calories if you're drinking almost a two liter of, yeah. of soda per day. Uh, one, one eight ounces is what is it? 40 grams of carbohydrates and sugar yeah, that, uh, yeah. that's you know almost it gets up to 160 almost 200 calories um per little thing and they're drinking two liter i don't know how many calories and, are in and, the two liters and then they're lot. drinking the the sugary coffee drinks yeah so then if you just cut that out and drink diet soda boom massive amounts of weight loss people blood pressure improves and all these different things. So regardless of any little mechanism, those regular sodas, yeah. we're going to be contributing to metabolic syndrome, diabetes, yeah. type two diabetes and stroke and all these different things. Yeah. Now, so, and to uh, be fair, if, if, a, if an individual says, oh yeah, well, when I drink a diet, whatever, I end up feeling hungry and cravings later. Well, on an individual basis, then let's not do that. Then let's help them find a different way. That's okay. Yeah. It, They've done studies on this. The, the, the hunger thing is, doesn't seem to be something that has a signal on average. But uh, right. on an individual level, there's some people that feel like they kind of crave sweets. But it's, it's actually not a universal thing. Most the studies show it's not really true that that's what happens. But on an individual level, 
it might be something reasonable. Now, yeah. here's something. Everybody, every time I post this, people are like, why are you telling people to drink diet soda? Just tell them to drink water. It's like, yeah, look, like if you can get people to drink water right off the bat, good, good job. Great. That's fine. Yeah. But a lot of people, we, we kind of use it like a nicotine patch. You're getting people, um, you know, trying to stop smoking. Get them on a nicotine patch, nicotine yeah. gum, using the diet soda. Then maybe eventually you get them on, on the water. Yeah. Uh, but even then. The other, the other. And even then, though, the thing is, one of the big things is like, let's not have, let's just not fear monger around food. Like, what if people yeah. enjoy a diet soda once yeah. or twice a day and they're doing fine with it? Like, if you're fear mongering and telling people they're going to have strokes and have metabolic syndrome and insulin sensitivity issues from it, uh, based on these BS studies, um, that's going to be a, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and let's be clear: there are much bigger fish to fry within people's dietary habits and lifestyle than than the diet beverage versus yeah. water. And there was at least one good trial, interventional trial that was also included in a meta-analysis that you and I wrote about several years ago with MedPage Today in our lifestyle uh, section, where it actually looked like the diet beverage did better than water. And maybe because some people do better with satiation with uh, carbonated beverages. I personally think I do, to be honest. It's it's possible that they felt they did better because they had some little bit of sweetness. We could... could, Hard to to say. pontificate all day about why it actually happened but it was was interesting because that's the one i pull up i'm like well you know and then yeah sure we want people to drink water but it's possible that someone drinking diet soda actually may do better than someone drinking only water and guess what there's nothing wrong with personalizing therapy like we always say we always come back to this why do we have to generalize stuff so much we can always personalize it if people do better with water than the diet beverages well then we're going to work with them on that and and yeah we probably should push you know, unsweetened water, tea, coffee as the front line. But um, I think we need to quit worrying too much about the the, the non-nutritive sweetened beverages. Now, there's one other point um, that I really got into. Well, two other points, actually, in the counterpoint. So one is that in the, uh, the big weight maintenance registration uh, cohort, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? The mm-hmm. National uh, Weight yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, National Registry of Weight Control. So one of the key factors for those people who have lost weight and maintained it, which anyone listening to this podcast probably knows is difficult to do because of the body's biology working against people driving regain. One of the main habits that they had was drinking non-nutritive sweetened beverages rather than sugary beverages. So that's one. That was one of my other points. Now the other point gets into more interventional data, but it's a little bit indirect. So what are some of the best uh, interventions we have for obesity and, and diabetes specifically, dietary interventions? What's maybe the most robust type of data we I have? I was going to for... say semaglutide, but I think <laughs> no, you're going to no, meal replacement. Meal replacement. Meal replacement. Well, gosh, what are, I, and I always say, what are, what are meal replacement shakes sweetened with? Are they sweetened with sugar? No. 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 No, <laughs> they're, they're sweetened with a variety of non-nutritive sweeteners, and they have some of the most robust dietary interventional data for weight loss and putting diabetes into remission, no less, let alone uh, concerns about glycemic issues. 
So here's what they're going to say. They're going to start pulling out, and this is where I, you know, we were just laughing about Andrew Huberman and Rhonda Patrick and some of these other people who are, you know, they're smart in their own field, yeah. but they start getting out of their field. Let's, they're, let's they're see if we clinician. can get them to respond to this, by the way. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, <laughs> they're not, they're not clinicians, so they don't actually see patients and that's okay. We need researchers, PhDs, and then we need actual clinicians who see people and put information into practice. But so the, the, there's a lot of mechanisms that are like, oh gosh, maybe what, should we stay away from these things? So one of them, obviously the big one that I always hear is like, but what about the microbiome? And again, you have to look at the, the actual type of sweetener. So one of them, they, 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 there's this, this tiny study back in 2014 that's been debunked, not debunked, but completely thoroughly just gone through and how it's just not, it, it's not even relevant. Um, they, they looked at animal microbiome changes and then they tried to do it with humans. And then they've, they've redone these studies and haven't really found anything in terms of microbiome. They've, they see microbiome changes maybe with certain sweeteners. Again, the, the data's mixed, but they've tried to reproduce a lot of these studies and they haven't really shown a change. And I would say like, even if you see certain changes uh, in microbiome, which we would see no matter what we're eating, like the, 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 and for anybody listening, the microbiome are these organisms, these bacteria that live in our gut. Some are good, some can be considered bad. And you can see shifts depending on disease states or even how our body composition, depending if you have more uh, adiposity, more fat tissue, specifically in, in your viscera, visceral area, you may see uh, one type of uh, pattern versus the other. But there, these are little, little organisms. In, in medicine, when you get antibiotics and you kill off a lot of your good stuff, this bad stuff, this C. difficile can overgrow and it can cause a lot of problems. So, you know, this microbiome, it's kind of scary. So they've tried to do studies looking at changes in microbiome with these artificial sweeteners because maybe that's a reason these things could be causing problems in the long run. Well, uh, again, we don't know enough about it. The studies are mixed. Mostly have shown either no change or uh, very small changes that we don't even know what it means clinically. But what we know clinically is that's happening is that, like my brother said, the things we care about, glycemic improvement, weight improvement, those are the things that matter most. We have no idea uh, what some of these microbiome changes mean and if there even is a change, if it happens. Yeah. So that's, and, that's and even so, one. someday, if, if that's really the most important thing to you, you get a fecal transplant. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe but we'll be we'll be supplying as well. We'll be supplying. <laughs> the, the yeah, we'll we'll be shilling out. Be like, docs who lift fecal transplants. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be sending it to you in a box. <laughs> Probably charging. Charge, we'd be charging a lot for that. But and actually, some people might do that regardless if they want. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that that's, that's you think we're joking, but that's actually being studied and. And has some real plausibility in the for the future potentially for some. I have my Shopify site up, just ready to go when it's approved. <laughs> uh, the next one, though, the, the other one, though. So microbiome, just like forget about it. The the next one I would say is um, uh, insulin sensitivity. That's the one that comes up. Like, well, wait a second. What if are there changes in insulin? There have been some of these mechanistic studies looking at. Most recent meta analysis shows like, hey, there doesn't seem to be a, a change, no matter right. what. Um, look at but there are some of these very small studies we call them 
post hoc analyses where they were their intention was to study something else and then they looked back at the data and tried to show some sort of relationship uh, with with the design of the study with the, with their trial and there's some suggestions showing well maybe there is something with changes in insulin when you ingest let's say sucralose is one of them when you ingest sucralose with the carbohydrates um, some sort of carbohydrate and, and maybe some insulin sensitivity changes but as my brother said from a glycemic standpoint there seems to be no difference in right. in outcomes. and and a lot better than if you drank the sugary sweetened beverage so again when you're talking about head-to-head -head, one or the other the non-nutritive sweetened beverage is absolutely better than the sugary sweetened beverage. I mean, there really is yeah. really no doubt in, in that. We love water. My dad called it the champagne of athletes. Honestly, we love water. Uh, but I do however, have some diet I do soda. like a fresca. <laughs> I like a good fresca. Uh, you know, sometimes with dinner, I like a good fresca. And I don't want the huge glycemic load. I'd rather save my carbs for some rice or whatever. I'd rather save or my carbs for chocolate. Cream. Yeah, I like, I like some, I'm going to eat chocolate rather than uh, drink a sugary yeah. drink for sure. I'll tell you that. I personally like the diet soda. But the, the point here is, the, the whole point of this podcast, from a, from a clinician standpoint, if you're a doctor, please don't tell people to drink regular soda instead of diet soda. Like, that's just, that's, that's just ridiculous. And if you're a doctor doing that, please talk to us and we'll set you straight. If you're a patient, a person just trying to learn um, how to lose weight, keep it off, or just get healthier, the gist is... You can have a diet soda if you want. Have that over the regular soda. But if, you know, here's another thing. Here's another practical thing. If you just have a, a regular soda once a week and you like the taste better than diet soda. And it's your special treat. It's, it's your special treat. It's fine when probably you average that out. Yeah, probably not a big deal. Once a week. You know, if you start drinking once a day, all right. And you start looking at. That might be a problem. A little bit. You start getting a couple of those, yeah, that, 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 I'd probably stay away from that. But honestly, that, that's the practical standpoint. And then, uh, you know, if you want to drink, if you want to just go straight to water because the diet soda is causing you to crave more foods, which I, I feel like sometimes when I do drink more diet soda, it's like when I get to like one or two per day, I want three or four. When I stick to one and, uh, at night, it's not a big deal. So I can understand why other patients um, are concerned about that. So then just go to water. But don't be fearful of the diet soda. That's it. Absolutely. That's right on the money. And I'm sure we could get, we could get into, you know, really nuance of like stevia versus, you know, the insulin changes versus, uh, you know, sucralose and all that yeah. stuff. But it doesn't, it, in the end, it just doesn't, it just, it's not something to focus on. We, we can, uh, you know, we, in, in this podcast, uh, we can link to the, we can link to my counterpoint, which has all those Just citations in it. And, um, you know, we, we have some PowerPoints ourselves that, uh, you know, show some of these studies and, and split the hairs between the different non-nutritive right. sweeteners. But if you really want to split the hairs, we can do yeah. that. But yeah, in the end, that, that's the practical recommendation. All right. So that's it for this uh, Docs Who Lift podcast. Hope you listen to us. Like and subscribe. Send to your friends, whatever you need to do to get us more followers. Just kidding. Just to help everybody out. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.